0: Right, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. My guest today is Evan Kalin. Uh, it's something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. So Evan runs a startup called Grilla. Uh, we incubated Grilla out of Tusk Ventures. So it's a company that I've been working on uh, since day one and had been looking for someone like Evan for a long time to do this with. And then he uh, appeared in my life because turned out he and Jordan were friends from before. Um, and so we just kind of made the company public a few weeks ago. We had been doing it in stealth mode. Um, We finally kind of announced the whole platform and everything else. So now that we are out of stealth mode, I want to have Evan on to really talk about what he's building. And I think more importantly, why what he's building, I think, can be pretty revolutionary in the world of of wagering because it's just something totally different. So Evan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start off just quickly so the listeners have some background. Um, You have a history in both kind of gaming sports and esports. So walk us through it.
1: Yeah, so what you probably don't know Bradley is my founding journey started about 20 years ago. Um, (laughs) So as a teenager, when I was about 15 or 16. um, My parents put a slab of concrete in our backyard in a basketball hoop, and they turned a room in our house into a game room with a pool table and a basketball arcade machine. And I don't know what it was. But my friends and I would just, from 11 a.m. till they came over to play basketball, till 4 a.m., we would just bet on everything. Like, we would play three on three parents basketball. know this was going on? I, no, I think they wanted to do, like, they did this so I'd stay home and I wouldn't get into trouble. But, like, any sort of birthday money, <laughs> You brought the trouble like, to the home. Yeah. I, I brought the trouble. So, like, literally, we'd start on with three and three basketball. We would... Bed on it, like, you know, all day long. And then we'd play pool and video games and arcade basketball till four in the morning. And so I just, like, had this in me that I just loved wagering on myself against my friends. I thought it was, like, the most fun way to compete. Totally. So then I got to college in 2003. And if anyone was in college in the early 2000s, they likely got hit by the poker boom. So, from my perspective, there were three things that set off the poker boom. It was ESPN got the rights to the World Series of Poker, and they started showing the hold cards. So if you remember, you could now see what people are holding as they play through the hand. Mm -hmm. The movie Rounders came out with Matt Damon. Great movie. By the way, it
0: holds up. I watched it maybe in the last 12 months, other than the fact that John Malkovich is kind of a terrible actor. Um, (laughs) I thought it held up. Hugo, have you watched it lately?
1: Uh, not that recently, but I remember really liking it a lot, but yeah. I haven't seen it recently.
0: Yeah, it, it, it holds up. So anyway. Yeah, oh,
1: great movie. And then the third part was that sites like Party Poker came up. So you could literally play poker all day, every day. And I got caught up in that. So if I wasn't playing Party Poker, I was playing with friends, whatever the case might be. So I've always had this appetite for skill-based games and, again, wagering on myself against my friends or whatnot. So fast forward, and I've spent a career working in sports. I consulted for leagues like the NFL and the NBA. And then in 2017, all of my clients were asking about gaming, whether it was properties like the NFL or brands like Coca-Cola. They say, how do we get in front of younger audiences? This is where Gen Z is. This is where millennials are. And so I started to look at the data that we had. And I said, this is like this generational shift that's about to happen in the way that you know sports are consumed and played and entertainment is watched so i transitioned into esports and when i got in there in 2019 what i realized was that everybody was focused on the pros so like how do we create the next nba with sponsorships and media rights i'm like wait a second what about the hundreds of millions of people that are playing video games with their friends and as parts of different communities at all skill levels like what are yeah. they doing i remember I, I had this conversation with my boss he's like yeah no they like they just kind of play for fun and they play for you know prizes and stuff i'm like so you're telling me that you're sitting on like arguably the most exciting skill-based games ever created through video games and no one's wagering on them? Like, There's this huge component that's missing. Yeah. So I sat on this concept for a couple of years and in 2021 in September, or actually it was May 2021, I sat down with Jordan, your partner. I said, Jordan, I've been thinking about this. This is crazy. I had this concept that had this built out. He said, it's funny that you say this because my partner has been thinking about this from a regulatory standpoint. So everything you're saying from a commercial standpoint, Bradley's been looking at from a regulatory standpoint. Why don't you guys sit down for a coffee? I could probably pause there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and that that ultimately led to Grilla. So it, the original vision for Grilla and kind of the the sports landscape, you know, you're talking about that everyone kind of gravitated to the pros and no one really thought about the hundreds of millions of amateurs who like to engage in games of skill. So where did Gorilla kind of initially fit in, in your mind, into the esports landscape?
1: Yeah, so look, I wanted to essentially create the modern-day version of what party poker was for me, you know, 15 years ago, right? I wanted anyone to be able to organize a competition for their friends. They could collect entry fees. They could pay out prize pools. And most importantly they could wager as they play. So if Bradley and Evan are playing a Madden match through a tournament, I could say to Bradley, hey, let's put $10 on the outcome. You say, that's great. We have a built-in wallet on the platform. When you win the competition, the money goes in your wallet. But there's challenges that come along with that. It's not like when I used to play poker with friends and we could all put $10 in the shoe box and the winner gets $200. With video games, you're talking about hundreds of people that are competing in a competition. So there was nothing out there that not only allowed them to organize those competitions and collect the entry fees and pay out the prize pools, but most importantly, at least for me, and I think what's human nature for a lot of people, is for them to be able to wager on the outcome. So that was the, the grand vision. I mean, I think a part mm-hmm. of me wanted to, to some extent, create like an esports book, like a proper sports book. Uh, but after market research, consumer research, we netted out with like, this is the, this is the major need. And if you're doing it at an amateur level... The possibilities are infinite why would you wait for the 10 league of legends professionals to have to get set up with a tournament in an official capacity when you can have the millions of people that are playing every day competing and doing the same thing
0: so correct me if i'm wrong but but couldn't this also apply to all kinds of non esports as well i mean there are thousands of games of skill no
1: yeah for sure so so what's funny about it is we started to build the platform for pc and console based gamers so call of duty nba 2k madden fifa rocket league whatever the case might be and all of a sudden we started to get inquiries from people that said oh i also play chess or i play magic the gathering or i play backgammon or golf or pickleball it would be really great to have this technology to organize my competitions and pay out prize pools so what we've kind of fell into is a situation where a tournament's a tournament whether you're playing call of duty or you're playing pickleball right single elimination double elimination round robin So what we're doing now is saying, okay, the the platform's there for video games. That's where it started. But it'll be easy to kind of copy and paste this model to other skill-based games. So regardless of any of the games that I just mentioned, or something that hasn't come around yet, like drone racing, which is kind of having a moment, or virtual reality racing, or the metaverse, we could facilitate all that.
0: Right. So who uses Gorilla right now?
1: So... We started beta testing in August 2022, and we officially launched the third week of January. We have about 30,000 people that are on the site right now, and it's primarily video game players. So it's, I would say, hardcore gamers in the sense that these are people that are playing two, three, four times a week. However, what we're trying to do is kind of cast this wider net and say, you don't have to be like a professional gamer. You don't have to be an organizer. You could just be seven, eight buddies in your college dorm room that want to organize a competition in a more formal way, and you could easily use the platform. Like We're trying to make it as intuitive as possible. I have The litmus test is, if my 65-year-old father could do it, then any 25-year-old trying to create a game should be able to do it. Um, so the idea is that we're starting with hardcore gamers and then expanding out to more casual gamers, people that just want to play with friends, and then all skill-based genres.
0: Right. And, and how do you make sure that these competitions are legit. I mean, the, the downside from my perspective of sports betting is it's really hard for the platforms to differentiate themselves. So, you know, the way that DraftKings or FanDuel or MGM or Caesars gets you is just by giving you better financial incentives than the others are at that moment, right? Um, but they also are then very reliant on, you know, outside forces, right? You, you can't bet in a football game without the NFL existing, and organizing games itself, right? On your hand, the, the friction is dramatically lower because like, it can be two dudes playing Madden and Soul, and you're betting 25 cents if the next play is a run or a pass, um, but the leagues and the professional sports do have systems in place to really protect the integrity of the games themselves. How do you do that at scale for such tiny competitions?
1: Yeah, obviously a great question. And it's something that we get asked a lot. And with video games, someone owns the IP. So there is some sort of regulation and community guidelines. And the way that we look at it is we're the stadium. And all the independent organizers that are creating competitions for their friends and their communities and their alumni groups, they're the the concert promoters, right? So I put it in the context of that, whereas like, If you go to a Taylor Swift concert at MetLife and something happens, there's a range like, you don't call MetLife. Ticketmaster polices it themselves or the promoter polices it themselves. So we're relying on these organizers where it could be, you know, Bradley's creating a chess tournament for everybody in his, you know, Tusk network. And you're basically saying, I'm going to police this. Jordan and and Shelly, there was some sort of discrepancy. Shelly, you're the winner. Right? So, like, we're just taking the stance of, hey, we're providing the software, we're putting the compliance and regulatory guardrails in place to make sure everyone's doing this legally. It's up to you to monitor that. If you can't figure that out, we have measures in place to do so. But ultimately, it's up to you to police it as the independent organizer.
0: And then, as a result, do, does Gorilla need to be a direct consumer product, or can you just be a white label for anyone that wants to organize a tournament with wagering?
1: So... It, in theory we're kind of like a b 2 b to C right now if you consider the organizer a business so our go-to market strategy is basically hey let's identify these organizers that have these existing communities let's let's sponsor them so so Bradley you have a community of hundred chess players we're gonna sponsor you and you're like I've never gotten sponsored before I never thought I'd have someone you know market this and that so I say Bradley, you just tell all of your friends about us. You you know, get your community on the platform. You start creating your tournaments on our platform. So we kind of create this supply and then pile on the marketing and the awareness. Um, so it's really the organizers and our partners that are the driving force here.
0: Right, so ba- basically you can almost do it however you want, right? If somebody said, we want you to provide the software, but we want our branding everywhere and yours not, you can do that. And if it's just more people that want to be able to click on on the app and say, how do I get a tournament going? You you can do that. Um, Gambling licenses, do you need them? Uh, And if so, why?
1: Uh, Fortunately, no. So essentially uh, the background is in 2006, when the federal government implemented the Unlawful Internet Gambling Exchange Act, they never really defined what, Gambling is like the ter- the official term of what illegal gambling is. So they left it to the state, um, and the way that the states look at this is through whatever lens. You know, Nevada is obviously much different than New York, but generally, there's three elements that make up an illegal wager: it's chance, consideration, and prize. So chance is a hand of blackjack. You and I play. It, it's up. You know, who knows who's going to win? Consideration is putting something up a value, and prize is winning something of value. Mm-hmm. All of the games on our platform, skill determines the outcome of the match. Therefore, if you're missing the element of chance, we can operate these tournaments, we can operate these competitions without getting gaming licenses per state.
0: So yesterday I was meeting with the governor of a state. I won't say his name since uh, it was a private conversation, but I brought up Gorilla and esports betting, and he said, Well, isn't that already legal under our under our statutes? And I said I don't know. I said, I I think so, but it kind of depends on interpretation. This is one of those sort of gray areas that no one's ever really tested before. What do you think? Do you think ultimately there's going to be a separate esports regulatory framework or do you think just either you're a game of skill, you're a game of chance and then based on that, you need a
1: license or you don't? Obviously a great question and it's on the minds of a lot of people. What I'll say is that states are having a really hard time with it right now and the primary reason is that the participants tend to be quite young. That's when your hand-eye coordination is at its best. That's when you're peaking as a, a gamer. And they're not making the type of money that NBA players would. So you, they think you're more likely to throw a match if someone offers you $50,000. Not to say that we haven't seen that happen in the likes of the NBA and whatnot with some of these documentaries that are coming out on Netflix, but I think that's the biggest pain point for regulators to get over. Um, Eventually, it'll come around. There's going to be so much demand as these younger generations start to pop up and become more significant consumers. And they're like, I don't watch MLB. I don't watch NHL. I want to bet on League of Legends. So inevitably, it's going to happen. It's just a case of when. And, um, yeah, it's going to happen. It's a case of when and what states kind of act first. But from where we sit... I don't think it really matters one way or the other because we're operating under a different set of rules and skill based gaming. It doesn't have to be professionals.
0: Yeah. And and look, w- at least what I said to this governor is there's all kinds of tax revenue that you're not capturing right now, either because this type of gaming doesn't really exist or because it's so informal. Um, this is probably a pretty big opportunity for states to to generate revenue, just like they are with sports betting. Um, for sure. So, uh the market overall, right? Because this, you know, in many ways, there's there's the projections of what kind of the esports gambling market could be. But then there's also the okay, for people go out and play golf, they gamble. If they're they're going to use gorilla, then you guys get a take on that. Or like you said, pickleball or backgammon or chess or whatever it is. How how do you assess the size of sort of the informal gambling market, and, and what do you think it is?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really tough market to assess, I'll tell you that much. So we've been kind of picking and pulling data from different skill-based games. I think that the best reference point is probably golf. So what we know about golf in the U.S. is there's 519 million rounds of golf played for, per year. And a recent survey that came out from—I don't think it's Golf Digest. It's one of the golf publications—found that 85% of people that go out and play golf wager on themselves in the match. So if you do the numbers in golf in, as a standalone, I mean, you're talking about massive billions and billions of dollars. Do
0: you, is anyone ever allowed to short themselves? I would definitely do that if I went on a golf course. <laughs> I don't even know how to hold a club. Uh, yeah,
1: so your handicap would just be much higher, and it would be like a 10 to 1 that you'd get like closer to the pin.
0: And so where does this all go? Give, give me the sort of bull case scenario for both the industry – Gorilla and kind of taking the informal gambling economy and, and making it more formal?
1: Yeah. So look, I think this is something I can piggyback off of what you've said at some point is, you know, it started with daily fantasy. Now it's sports betting. It seems inevitable that skill-based gaming is the next thing to drop. And I could tell you from experience as a seasoned sports better, there's been so many times in my life where I say, I could have caught that. Why couldn't you run through that? This is the opportunity to say, you know, it's not about like you watching, sitting on your couch. It's like doing, like you are responsible for your own destiny. So where this could go, like it's already happening. People are competing in all sorts of of competitions and whatnot, online, offline, whatever the case might be. There needs to be a home for this. There needs to be a digital transformation in how the way that these competitions are managed, how wagers are done. I mean, you could pay cash when you, you know, play in a competition and pay your entry fee in in real life competition, but like you use Venmo. like uh, Inevitably, there's going to be this digital transformation as people stop carrying cash and want a more seamless way to do it and want to organize these competitions and be able to wager at scale. So we want to be the home for that. We think that we will be the home for that. And then we're going to take it a step further and say, how do we lean into the fans of these people? How do we lean into the people that just want to watch these skill-based competitors if it's Slap wrestling, like there's these, these obscure sports that live out there. Like, what I if I do you. want to live on my couch? I don't want to bet on the professional, but I want to have some sort of interest in the outcome. And that's kind of what we're already doing with our staking tool. I don't know if you want to get into that, but yeah, yeah. So, why
0: don't you explain what it is? Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, when we were originally talking about the, the concept of Gorilla, what I noticed was that there's all these gamers that have massive fan bases. They have upwards of a million fans on Twitch and Twitter that follow their every word and they even tip them. They say, hey, thanks for the content. I'm gonna tip you, I'm gonna subscribe to your content. And I'm like, how do these streamers and content creators and gamers really lean into their audience and really monetize them? I said, why don't we implement what's been done in poker for decades, which is staking? So what if there's a scenario where fans of said gamer could contribute to their entry fee? They could put in $10, $20, $50, $100. And if their player wins, they get a portion of the prize pool back. So if you know nothing about gaming, I'm going to put this in the context of golf. What if Tiger Woods said, hey, I'm playing in this special tournament. It's a $100,000 entry fee. It's a $2 million prize pool. You, as my fans, could stake part of my entry fee. How many of your colleagues in finance would be like, holy shit, I'm going to put 10 grand on Tiger, and they're going to be glued to the TV. Because if Tiger wins a $2 million prize pool, they're going to get a piece of that back. So we're trying to implement that in gaming. We've built the technology to fractionalize the entry fees. We can fractionalize the prize pools. Um, so we think that this is going to be a big factor in getting people like myself involved who are really shitty gamers, but know who the good gamers are and want to support them and win money in the experience.
0: And it, so that's kind of the B2C element of the business, right, where um, you're dealing directly with people who just want to bet. Do you envision that kind of being something where people are just going on guerrilla and, and doing it, or do you see worlds where, like, there's an entity in the golf world that says, okay, Evan, you know, uh, put this whole thing together, but it's gonna be on the Golf Digest brand, not, not the Gorilla Band?
1: I would welcome white labeling, right? Like, we spoke to someone the other day who works in, like, uh, has an audience that appreciates more, we'll call it mature, obscure type skill based games, poker. 80s Billy Joel trivia, like just random things. Like today, if those people went to our site and saw it, I'd be like, well, this is a gaming app. So I say to that person, let's skin this. Let's create an app for you. Let's do it with your branding. Or maybe you're a brand, maybe name the Budweiser. Budweiser wants their own competitions. They want their own wagers. Like we could easily do that for a brand, for an individual, for whoever the case might be, for Golf Digest. Um, because as far as we're concerned, we just want people doing the thing. Those people are still going to be using our wallet and registering through our platform, um, but we just want to really grow this skill-based gaming community, we have the tools to do it. Um, and if it's not a full-blown white-label app, we're doing something where there's a widget that just lives on your desktop. So let's say you're playing online chess. You have this gorilla widget. You say, okay, I have my wallet built into it. I did all the, re- the KYC checks and the regulatory stuff. The person I'm playing gets to the same, and no matter what platform you're playing on, you could use our services. So there's, there's a bunch of different directions that we could go, um, but the opportunities are endless.
0: Um, all right, so Evan, l- last question. You, you mentioned two weird sports all You mentioned slap fighting, I, th- I threw in pillow fighting. Give me like what you, let's say this all really works out and then 10 years from now, I'm like, what were the weirdest fucking things that people organize tournaments for? W- what would you guess?
1: Oh, man, it's so hard to tell, especially as virtual reality, and the metaverse take on a bigger role, but. Here's what I always tell people, like before the internet, if you had some obscure thing you were into, like you had to kind of just do it like in your mom's basement. Fast forward and once you get the internet, like all of a sudden you find groups, like these random groups that do these random things that play random things and you see them in parks, like reenacting a civil war type thing. Um, I can't even answer what that could be.
0: I guess a, a civil war reenactment though would not be a game of skill, right? Because you're following something that already happened. But then if you said to them, okay, now you're really going to fight. You could do this that, paintball. That, like, Civil War I paintball. I fucking hate paintball. But yeah, I guess, I guess you could do that. I yeah. played paintball once, and I got shot in the neck. Did it hurt? Yeah, it had fucking hurt. And I had like a bruise for like three weeks. And I was like, why am I – I don't want to shoot anyone. I don't want people – I don't want to run around people shooting at me. Like, right. No paintball. No, no paintball. Well, people can do it on, on the platform. I'm just not going to participate. Um, but the point is there's communities
1: out there, and they've found each other through the internet – and now they could do it in a more formal manner. So it's all kind of like led up to this where you found your community. There's a place that you could do it. You could transact. So regardless of what weird shit you're into, um, we, we have a home for you. All
0: right, so Evan, uh, one, how do listeners uh, find Grilla? And two, how do people find you?
1: Yeah, so Grilla.gg, G-R-I-L-L-A.gg. The G is a, a whole gaming thing. That's why it's not .com at the moment. Um, all of our social handles are on Grilla. You can email me, Evan, E-V-A-N, at Grilla, G-R-I-L-L-A I'm Evan Kalin on Twitter. Uh, so that's how you find us. Great.
0: All right, Evan Kalin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.